Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Is it time to legalise drugs like cannabis? The Citizens' Assembly on Drugs is looking at the issue. We will discuss it tonight with our panel. The doll is back and with it more housing arguments. If your housing policy is in rag order, absolute rag order, so reinstate the eviction ban until you actually get your act together and deliver the social and affordable housing, we need to address this housing crisis. So will the fact that the government has announced a 10 billion euro budget surplus mean more housing? And later, the idea of a congestion charge seems to run out of road, with Leo Varadkar saying it won't happen in this government's lifetime. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. the last few days, a Citizens' Assembly on Drugs has convened to see what can be done to reduce the impact of harmful drugs on this country. And it's brought to the fore a question, should certain drugs be legalised in Ireland? Well, joining us for more on this is Fine Gael Senator Regina Doherty, Senator Marie Sherlock of Labour, Pauline O'Reilly, Green Senator, GP Dr Ray Wally also joins us in studio tonight and I'm joined on Skype by Professor Colin O'Gara, Head of Addiction Services at St John of God Hospital and Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at UCD. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, Ray Wally, I want to come to you first on this because you have issued a letter, you and your colleagues, where you have highlighted um, the harms of cannabis use and what you are seeing in your surgery and concerns you and your colleagues have. Why did you write this letter now to push for factual information on the harms of cannabis and a lack of it as you see it? Uh, and why is the issue so important? Uh, it's something whereby uh, it's an escalating problem. It's something in the last few years that we have... Uh, we first wrote to the Irish Times in 2019 as a group and we indicated that there was a normalisation of the language in regard to cannabis. There was discussions of cannabis in the economic section of the paper. Um, there was very little attention on the harms that cannabis produces and the fact that these harms are escalating. Um, so, for example, in the last figures for 2020, we have 1,000 um, admissions uh, with cannabis to medical and psychiatric units in this country. Significant numbers and climbing. OK. Um... With all of this, because I mentioned um, at the start of this, there's a citizens' assembly on, on drugs taking place and a conversation being had um, to consider the legislative uh, policy and operational changes that Ireland could make uh, to significantly reduce the harmful impact of drugs. So within that, there's talk about legislative change. So what do you think around the idea and the discussion then around decriminalisation and potentially the conversation that's being had around the legalisation of drugs such as cannabis? Uh, well, I think it's great that the Citizens' Assembly is shining a light on the 
um, difficulties that uh, our drugs problem uh, uh, sort of has br brought to the country, uh, including cannabis. Um, it, it is important that uh, we look at uh, what harms have been uh, happening. It's important that we look at what solutions there, both nationally and internationally. Um, so if we look at certain countries like Canada and America that have legalised, since legalisation, those harms have increased. Um, there are other countries out there that have had uh, you know, have not legalised. So, for example, um, in, in Portugal, there's an example uh, which could be similar to a decriminalisation. It's not a legalisation. Portugal is a form of decriminalisation. Uh, but we also have a system that is being brought in here which uh, has the potential to... Uh, could be akin to decriminalisation whereby we have a, a health-directed approach for people rather than a criminal justice-directed approach. But ultimately... You know, sort of, uh, uh, it's important we look at the pros and cons of everything and have a true debate on all of that. All right, but I specifically say on the area of, of legalisation, because that's what you brought up in this specific um, letter. You say that legalising uh, a drug such as cannabis um, is not the answer. In your opinion, is it a public health disaster? Is that what you think? Well, that is the evidence that is happening in Canada and, and the US. Like, there are many reasons why they brought it in. They said that, for example, you know, there's a concentration uh, of activity of drug use uh, in deprivation areas. They brought it in to say that that would be stopped. What has happened in the US, especially, uh, there's been an escalation in the usage in uh, deprivation areas. You've had uh, concentration of both legal and illegal uh, drugs provision in those areas. Uh, we've also, you know, in Ireland, we have... In regard to cannabis, we have a, between the ages of 20 and 24 years of age, 1.5% cannabis use. That's in the order of 10 to 12% in Canada. And we have an increase in all attendances at emergency departments with significant problems as a result of legalisation of cannabis, as an example. So you're saying, while it's bad now, you believe that, that oh, there will be greater cannabis use should it be legalised? That is the evidence that all is right. coming from Canada and, and the US. OK, um, let's bring uh, Professor Colin O'Gara in here because you work, um, Colin, with, with people um, who, who come to you for treatment for addiction problems. Um, and as another medical voice on this, what do you think around this discussion that's being had around decriminalisation and potentially uh, legalisation of, of a drug like cannabis? Where, where do you stand on it? Do you think it's something that breaks the stigma and um, helps people seek treatment um, and leads to more of a harm reduction rather than um, a legalised approach to the problem? Yeah, absolutely, I do. And, um, you know, I think um, I would agree with a lot of the... Um, you know, comments around drug harm that that Ray has discussed there. I mean, I, I I see the devastating effects of all drug use on a daily basis. And as a psychiatrist, I see disorders like psychosis, which are very, very important. But as an addiction specialist, I also see the harm that can be caused by stigmatizing people and effectively criminalizing people for what is a biologically driven brain disease. Um, which, which we know from a lot of the regulatory bodies, both the UN um, the World Health Organization. Addiction is now accepted to be an illness. It is not a deficit of will, and nor, in my view, is a criminal, or should we be criminalizing people because of it? Of course, it has been criminal to this point, but I think the Citizens' Assembly is, I believe, that the people are going, you know, People feel that there's change underway at the moment. And I believe that that change is that people 
are not going to allow people to be stigmatised any further. OK, um, so uh, your views on decriminalisation is something that you would certainly, it appears to be, you would be in favour of that. On the issue then of potentially exploring legalising cannabis, say, where would you, you stand on that? Well, there was an excellent submission to the to the Oireachtas, um, in, in, you know, about, I think it was about six months ago, which outlined a measured approach to this. Ireland is very specific in terms of drug harm. My uh, doctorate thesis was on genetics of addiction. And I believe that in Ireland, we are different to other countries. I think that we are predisposed to addiction more so than other countries. And I think culturally, we have a huge issue mm. with alcohol and drugs. And I think what we need to do, as was outlined in this submission, is we need to look at decriminalisation. The policymakers need to decide whether they're going to pursue that. And then we need to look at legalisation in a very measured fashion, as opposed to just lumping it in, which I think would be very uh, irresponsible. OK, so to take it, uh, the two things separately, start with decriminalisation and, and see um, where that goes. Just on that issue briefly, Connor, uh, that uh, column, people would say, you know, if you legalise it, this is what Ray is saying, if you legalise it, you're going to see a big increase in the number of um, young people um, using cannabis. You're going to see a jump in people taking up use of the drug. That's going to lead to, you know, a pressure on services like your own. Um, do, do, do you think we run the risk of that happening or, or, or you know, what's your view on that? I think this is the first point at which I will I'll actually disagree with Ray um, in terms of um, there, you know, the, 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 the top of the pyramid in terms of evidence based medicine are systematic reviews and meta analysis. And in terms of data coming from the states, I don't believe that there is compelling evidence that there's increased rates of initiation of cannabis use, particularly in adolescence. OK, and, you know, this is obviously a very emotive topic. It's a very controversial topic in, in many regards. And any of the 30 jurisdictions that have implemented uh, decriminalization have had debates like we are having now. So, you know, I, I, I do believe, as, as Ray correctly says, we need to, to, to look at all of the evidence. My own view is that, you know, that, it, that, that the evidence from both Portugal and the United States is not conclusive around increasing drug use and initiation of drug use. Okay. But again, I think we need to have this debate in a very measured and collaborative fashion to get the best deal for Ireland going forward. OK. Uh, Ray, briefly on that, um, and I know that you've cited that um, as, as being that we, you've seen an increase when it comes to legalising cannabis in terms of an uptick in use, um, that maybe it, the statistics don't you know, play out like that right across the board or that there is scope to explore it further. Well, if you look at the American Medical Association, which came into the debate eight years into this legalization in the States, they basically are for decriminalization. They're for collection of a lot of data to get more evidence. They're against uh, legalization. And that's from their experience. And they've got a massive membership. The Equally, the American College of Pediatricians mm -hmm. came out against legalization or for decriminalization. Again, it was their experience on the ground was that legalization was not uh, basically a positive experience, especially in that case for children, where there was a great increase in poisonings of children. There was, as from their perspective, an increase in uh, increase in adolescent usage. All right, OK. Um, 
Regina, on this, um, I think everyone agrees, and I don't know, do you agree, that the status quo, what is in place now, is simply not working in this country? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would think so. Um, and I think that's probably why we've established the Citizens' Assembly, which is kind of internationally now renowned after 10 years of us practising it um, as being a really good method of deliberative democracy. And I've no doubt that they will come up with a great report, as all of our other assemblies have. Um, I agree with... Um, both our professionals tonight, that we absolutely shouldn't be stigmatising anybody for an illness. Um, and so therefore I would be really supportive of decriminalising um, drug use. And I think we should be doing absolutely probably an awful lot more in relation to helping and treating. Um, but the one thing that I can't get my head around is, is that what, what we should be doing as a country is reducing the use. And so when Ray talks about 1.5% of our young people between the ages of, I think, 18 and 24 versus 12% in America, like we should be reducing that 1.5%. And I don't see how legalising something and making it as freely available as it is walking up and down the streets of Amsterdam is going to reduce something. So I, would, I think I would be leaning against um, absolutely remove any stigma that's involved with regard to people's illnesses and usage of drugs in this country and increasing all of the health and supports that we can um, and all of the housing for all of the things that we okay, should be so doing. Abandon the justice-led approach would be your take on it. That would be Fine Gael's take on it. Would it be in terms but, of, uh, separate to the legalisation issue, but that decriminalising uh, so. personal use I, I, I don't is think the way it's, to go. I don't honestly believe that it's just my view, and I won't speak for all of my colleagues, right? but I think it's a humane and compassionate way to look at people. Like, nobody, nobody sets out to become a drug addict. They might think it's cool when you're in your, you know, 20s or whatever, but nobody sets down that road of describing the life that the young man on TV or on, on RT described last night of the horrendous experience that he had. So what we should be doing is to try and halt people from going into that in the first place, but aiding and helping people who are already there. And I can't see how legalising something, whether it's as innocuous as people say, uh, as cannabis is, right up the line to harder drugs, I don't see how that's going to reduce people's usage. OK. Um, um, Marie, Sherlock, where do Labour stand on, on all of this, on this issue? Because there, there's a lot of... I mean, there's different evidence being also being presented around the issue of legalisation and, and, in fact, decriminalisation as well, because some people take issue with the Portuguese model and, and how that's working over there versus how it could work here. Um, where do you stand on it? Well, I think the first thing to say is that it's fantastic that we now have a Citizens' Assembly on drugs, that we're having this, you know, detailed conversation and not kind of a knee-jerk response, which, in fairness, I think a lot, you know, many people have a, a, an instinctive response, particularly when we talk about drugs. And I think... Although you it know, has been a long time coming, many would say. No, it has. And look, my colleague, Eoin O'Reardon, has spent years campaigning for this. But I think the key thing here is that we do need to make a distinction between, dec between decriminalisation and legalisation. And I think it is fantastic that, you know, so many in the political system now agree that we, you know, we can't prosecute our way to a drug-free society, that we actually have to show, you know, that, the, that, that it's a health and a social uh, assistance approach that we need to, to those who find themselves in addiction. With regards to legalisation, certainly for me, like, when I look around, the reality is that, you know, there, there is recreational drug use happening in every town, village and city in this country. And every weekend, like is in, in our pubs, you know, where, where maybe it was not happening 10 years ago, it is happening now. So we have to face the reality on the ground. Okay. And, and, and in facing that reality, are you saying, you know, accept that it's happening 
And then there is a conversation to be had well, around legalising well, it as alcohol is well, legal. Well, there needs to be a conversation. And, and, and I do think there is a, a world of difference in terms of looking at, let's say, consumption of a 14-year-old. And, and we know from the evidence, the psychosis, the schizophrenia, um, and, 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 and the other very negative impacts of drug consumption at a very early age relative to, you know, an adult, 24-year-old or a 34-year-old. And so I think we need to be able to discuss all of that. Like, I mm. think one of the things that has happened, obviously, with alcohol which, you know, again, is identified as a drug, a legalised drug that's restricted, is that, you know, there's a discussion now, you know, amongst young people, amongst teenagers, about when it is acceptable to, for use. So it's not necessarily that I'm making an argument about legalisation. I just think that, you know, all these issues need to be put on the table and we need to have a very adult conversation and to hear the medical okay. evidence as well, because yeah. I think, you know, it is inconclusive and it's very welcome that we're mm -hmm. having this debate. Um, you know, on all of this, Pauline, and I know you're going to say that the, the, it was the Green Party's idea to have this citizen assembly and, and bring, was, br bring, bring up this discussion. Um, but some in, in the uh, medical community, like Ray, are concerned about where the conversation is going here. Um, from your point of view, like your party certainly wanted to have this discussion, but the fact that legalisation is being brought into the fray and I think the criticism from Ray and other doctors is we're not talking enough about harm reduction and the government is ignoring that message about reducing um, harm, reducing harm for individuals and for families when it comes to, say, cannabis use. Well, I mean, the, what's underpinning this is to have, a, you know, a grown-up conversation about drug use in Ireland. Um, Ireland clearly hasn't got it right because of the levels of addiction that we have. And the thing that we haven't spoken about here is the criminal behaviour that comes with that, um, that drug use and particularly when it's criminalised like that for the, for, for the user. And, um, and that it, it, all of this is about putting people first and those who are actually suffering. And that's why we're having the Citizens' Assembly. And of course, you're going to talk about both decriminalisation and legalisation. Both are going to come into that. But we do have a system in this country that has worked incredibly well. If we look at repeal, if we look at climate action, if we look at biodiversity, um, when we actually look at all of the evidence um, at a Citizens' Assembly, we can trust our people to, to say sure. what is right for I'm, us I'm as a society. I'm actually just wondering, and... and thinking about what's in place at the moment, when we have the rate of drug deaths in Ireland three times the European average, um, that we are actually just simply not doing enough as it is in terms of public health messaging. Like, would you agree with that? While it's great having a citizens' assembly, a citizens' assembly is there because there's been failure along, right along the way when it comes up, when it comes to what we're seeing in society in terms of of, you know, the impacts and the consequences of problematic drug use. Yeah, and I think that the point is very well made by Ray. You know, I do think that we need to, um, we need to talk about the problems of drug use, absolutely. Mm. But um, I don't think that Ireland has been successful in brushing it under the carpet, and that's probably what has been happening. I mean, if you look at something like alcohol, like cigarette use, um, we do know the dangers, yeah. but it doesn't mean that we're criminalising people for use. And actually, we have seen the use of things like of cigarettes go down because we have been grown up about it and say it happens. Um, let's not attach criminal behaviour to that and allow gangs to decide right. for our children, you know, what correct use yeah. is about. Um, 
uh, Ray, when it, when it comes to all of this, like, what do you think when you hear, um, I suppose, government spokespeople are you know, having this discussion in a very sort of academic way about we're having a grown-up conversation about you know, where all of this is at now? Like, I'm thinking actually around the discussion of legalisation of drugs, that we talk about something about reducing harm, but alcohol is legal in this country. You wouldn't propose suddenly making it illegal. I mean, is there a case to be made for making something like cannabis legal and then ensuring that there's safety around it, there's, there's treatments of, around it if people misuse, misuse cannabis, but that we're not in denial about what's actually happening in Ireland? Well, if we look at alcohol, there were more people in intensive care units during COVID with alcohol problems than there were with COVID. There's no attention on that. That's despite the fact that we now have strong labelling, purity of alcohol, so what we're talking about for legalisation is that you would have proper labelling and you'd be able to get less THC, the, the uh, psychotic part, uh, reduced. That's not going to happen. We have 1.2 billion uh, spent on the cigarette industry in this country and we have 260 in the black market area. That's illegal. So we haven't had any control over that. But one of the points I'd like... But if I'd we're like... starting afresh, say, with legalising and, you know... That, that if, 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 the, if the right, you know, safety procedures and safety nets are in place, then it, it's different to the issue of the cigarettes were never illegal. You know, you're, alcohol was briefly illegal in the States. You're, you're normalising the language. For example, there was a research study done of students last year and 50% of them would not smoke cannabis because basically it's illegal. They didn't want to a record. A record. Also, there are studies out there where the young are eschewing alcohol to a later age. Or there are another study published in the uh, European Journal there uh, indicating that it's the youth don't want to legalise cannabis. So we need to be looking at all that. We need to be looking uh, and listening okay. to the youth and you know, as well. Um, you don't want to, to legalise uh, cannabis, uh, Marie. Would you say that the, uh, I don't know, where well, is the national sentiment among young people? Well, I mean, uh, is well, that something they well, want it to be Well, I didn't banned? say that. No, I said, like, isn't it's important that we have, we have the debate. But I, I, I think, though, it's important... You know, to me, the most important conversation that we have here is with regards to the decriminalisation part and why we need decriminalisation. And indeed, there are actions that while the Citizens' Assembly is taking place, that, you know, the government can step up and take action to ensure that those people who, you know, are, 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 are you know, have an addiction um, are actually getting the resources that they need. Like, you know, for instance, our health system, we don't have proper safe injection facilities. You know, about a third of GPs offer, you know, opiate reduction, a stabilisation programme. And, and that's not having a cut off the GPs, but it's just, it's the reality yeah. that and we I don't have... Yeah, and we don't have, you know, the, 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 the resources on the ground to actually... And, 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 and that, you know, to, to actually help those who are, are, are find themselves in addiction. And that coupled then with the, you know, the stigma and the shame of, of, of being made to feel a criminal. So I think the thing is, let's not wait around um, for the outcome of the Citizens' Assembly. I think there's actions that can be taken now because the thing is, it's unconscionable that people are dying in our streets and yeah. we can do something about it. Uh, let's get Colin in on that. Um, you're someone who works right directly in that area of addiction services. When you hear that, why are we waiting around? Why are we waiting for this, um, you know, 100 people to kind of make up their minds and have a discussion that we should be doing more in the area of resourcing, you know, a health-led approach? Um, what, what sort of, what are you seeing? Like, what difficulties are you facing when you're trying to treat people with addiction in this country? Well, 20 years ago in London, I would have worked with um, Professor John Strang, who would have been one of the main proponents of injecting clinics. Um, similarly, um, 
I would have written a editorial in the British Medical Journal in 2006 on opioid substitution therapy. So those two points about injection clinics are absolutely spot on. You know, we don't have enough provision for OST as it's known. That's giving people methadone or a methadone alternative for heroin addiction. And we also should immediately implement national network of injecting clinics, which is at the cold face of people who are suffering from, uh, you know, as, as you call them, class A drugs. Yeah, why aren't we doing that, Regina? You know, I think the reason that the Citizens' Assembly is so important, and I know you said we can be doing stuff now, is because in order to make serious change, and I think we do need to make serious change in this area, we need to bring the Irish people with us. Sure, can the government uh, not make these decisions? Yeah, I mean, but that's basic. I don't no, know no, if anyone no, no, would, would be opposed. No, no, hold on. And I'll give you the example they? of we, the injection centre that was attempted to be put in Dublin City, and there was outright, you know, roar. And I, you didn't want it up the road, and I didn't want it down the road. That, that can't be tolerated. And what we couldn't do at that stage was enforce, you know, that government policy. So what we need to do is, as people have suggested tonight, having this grown-up conversation, we need to have a realistic... I suppose that's where government makes decisions. Yeah, well, so, but in order to make decisions that are accepted by the people that we serve, we have to bring them with we us. Do, but we don't, that's why... we don't have citizens' assemblies for everything. I mean, that's true no, to say, isn't some it? some of the major liberal changes and social changes that have happened in this country in the last 10 years have been driven by citizens' assemblies. And from, from my perspective, I'm very grateful that they've done that because it has made our job, I think, easier to be able to make those crucial, sometimes harsh changes, but with the okay. support of the people. All right, so that gets the green light and then it's okay for you to set up the injection centres and, and that kind of thing and make those changes. Well, I think it, it, it makes it easier for communities once we've had this national discussion okay. as opposed to parochial discussions. Uh, Pauline, what would determine a successful outcome with all of this or a target to reach? Is it uh, a reduction in, in drug use? Is it safe use? Is it a drop in addiction? Like, what are we looking for um, in, in this country? What are we looking as an outcome where, when they come to a decision and a policy is implemented what would say, yes, we have managed to tackle? You know, and I, think that, and I think that that's a fair question. I think oh, what it is, is a reduction in harm. And that harm comes in many forms. Part of it is from the criminalisation, uh, the, the criminality that goes along with um, the, the kind of drug use that we have in Ireland, which, as Marie has said, is in every town, is, you know, not only in every town, it's in every part of rural Ireland as well. And it's, it's reducing that. Um, so th that's the number one outcome that we want and it is for the people at the Citizens Assembly to come forward with recommendations of what they believe is the right approach to that for their society and you know what I, I absolutely agree with the point that uh, we need to bring people with us but we have had people objecting to um, injection centres and that is not right either e even before we have a, a Citizens Assembly we still need to um, ensure that we can get things over the line um, E even without that decision being made. And I would all right. absolutely agree with that point. OK, all right, we're going to have to take a short break now. My thanks to Dr Ray Wally and to Professor Colin O'Gara. Uh, coming up next, a €10 billion Euro budget surplus in the government coffers. So what will the money be spent on? Stay with us. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The doll was back after the Easter break, but the biggest issue of the day hadn't gone away. Housing, once again, to the fore. But with the government announcing a massive 10 billion euro budget surplus this morning, that is billion with a B, they are facing questions about how much they will put towards housing. Regina Doherty, Marie Sherlock and Pauline O'Reilly are still here with me. Um, let's talk about this budget surplus of €10 billion Euro, uh, this year. Well, forecast for next year is €16.2 billion. Euro. We're talking eye-watering figures here, mm. Regina. Um, extraordinary was how they were described. And yet, it's also emerged that there's a housing underspend, a state housing underspend. How can you explain the inability to spend what's being budgeted for when we have this surplus? So I say I don't think the issue with housing, and there's plenty of them, and we'll probably articulate them tonight, is anything to do with the money. The commitment to put the money in for what's needed has been made by the government back three years ago, uh, and even probably prior to that, when we wouldn't have had as much money. But the country is not short of money at the moment. And and we're I think, not, but we're not spending it. No, well, actually, the, some of the issues, I think, need to be teased out as to why we're not spending it. And so some of the kind of roadblocks are the blockages with our local authorities, uh, some of the blockages in our planning authorities. Mm. It, it's very clear that, obviously, we didn't spend as much as we had anticipated last year. That has to roll over this yeah. year. Is that I'm just go? wondering when you're talking about the blockages and you're talking about red tape, whose fault is that? You know what, I think there's a, there's a number of reasons. And so our local authorities and our housing approved agencies are competing with the same small builders to build on sites. If we look at what historically we've done with our local authorities is set up a planning framework so that we do planning right and do it well. Mm. And that has, to be honest with you, increased probably bureaucracy. If you take in the constituency that I'm representing, we have uh, local area um, plans in Balbriggan that's actually stopping builders yeah. building yeah, on their land. I mean, so there is, sometimes we are getting government. a little bit in I mean, our way. Look, do, I need, do we need to say it time and time again? You've been in government since 2011. Like, I mean, and you're talking about problems that could have been well ironed out over more than a well, decade, you see, not surely. necessarily, because they're not the same problems and they're not the same ones that are occurring at the same time. So I know that sounds like a cliche, but for the last number of years... Well, I think it would be very hard for people at home to kind of understand that when we're in the middle of a housing crisis and they're seeing this massive budget surplus, billions of euro that we simply don't know what to do yeah, with, that Claire, Pascal Dunhu is coming up with investment Regardless of how much money funds. you have, if you haven't got the people to build the houses, it doesn't make much difference right. how much money you uh, have. If we, if we have to acknowledge that we have supply and change management issues because of the Ukraine um, war over the last maybe 18 months, we had COVID we before that. Do we bring the war and COVID into this again? But sorry, the, the reality are is that they have impacted. Now, having said all of that, you have to look at the statistics last year when we had the best record year of building that we've had in donkey's years. And so, OK, I know there's frustrations amongst absolutely everybody with regard to the fact that the plan is not working fast enough, yeah. but the plan is working. And so but, what we need to do is to tease out the blockages to make sure that the four billion that we were supposed to spend last year will be spent this year and more next year and more next year. And thankfully, because of the way the company or the, the economy has been managed, okay. we have okay. the 10 billion next I mean, year, the 16 billion the year. OK, we have two government uh, parties represented here. So I'm actually going to go to Pauline on this because you're talking about like we're building and we have, you know, done so well on the overall housing target for last year. But actually... Figures released yesterday showed that 7,433 new-built social homes were completed that year, last year, and that's below the initial target of 9,000 homes. And it's also below the revised target 
of 8,000 homes, Pauline? Well, look, there, there were over 10,000 social homes delivered and that, that includes those that, that aren't, aren't um, you know, new builds as well. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, I, on new build homes and just yeah. sticking to targets yeah. on that, 7,433, the target was 9,000 and then there was a revised target saying, oh, we might get there, let's say eight. And we didn't even get to that. Yeah, well, look, and I'm looking at the increase is 43% on the previous year. It, it is an increase. Um, and it is. Oh, 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 yeah, but but, I, but I, I will say it, this. It's, it's not okay. 100%. The government, I will totally agree with you. You know, and Regina said it there, the government has exceeded the overall housing target. Does that point to the problem then that maybe where we're spending our money isn't necessarily in the right place? So while we've an overall you know, we're reaching overall targets in the area of social homes, in the area of affordable homes, we're failing. Well, those are those actually that that's actually where the where the majority is actually um, the, the most success is. And in but fact, we're not we, reaching targets. Well, How well, is it the most success? Well, before we went into government, we didn't have any kind of public housing. We now have public housing for the first time ever, and that and you know so that's an, an additional amount on top of that. But I'm not going to argue that there's enough houses being built because I don't think anybody could argue that there's enough houses being built. Um, and, you know, I think that some of what Regina has said is correct in the sense that I know my own local authority in Galway, they simply are not stepping up to the mark when it comes to affordable housing. Um, and some of these decisions are being made at local levels by councillors across okay. the political spectrum are also making these decisions. But I think it's really important to say that £40 billion was also spent when it comes to cost of living measures. Yes, um, okay, but we so are going to just know, stick for this. We are going to stick right but, now but on the, on figures the issue have, of housing. We have to talk about the figures in the round. The, you know, there was 40 billion spent on cost of living measures as well. Yeah. Absolutely, we have to but ask sure, questions. We're separated. You're, you're, housing for all is a programme in itself. Absolutely. We're not bringing cost of living budgets into all of that. And yeah. um, Marie Sherlock, on this matter, um, we've heard now um, from you know, both Pauline and Regina, that, you know, there's more houses being built than there ever was um, in God knows how many decades and that this is better, better than nothing. We're seeing thousands of houses being built in the social and affordable area as well. What do you say to that? Well, well, well I think anybody looking at Ireland right now would wonder what kind of a basket case are we that we're generating, uh, to use your word, eye-washering surpluses in our public finances and yet we have the highest levels of homelessness that we've ever had. And it's worse it's getting not better. And particularly when we look at, you know, housing completions are going to be down this year and last year. They're going to be worse again next year. So it's worse it's getting. And the reality is that there has been a repeated pattern of failure here. So the government has underspent last year and the year before. The government has failed to commit on, uh, to, 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 to deliver on its very modest mm. social and affordable housing targets. Like to think that it's six and a half thousand uh, houses short of where it should have been last year. That is absolutely okay. unacceptable. Okay. And the key thing is now that there has been years squandered of very healthy public finances and 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 and, and a, a, an excessive reliance on 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 you know international finance to come into this country mm -hmm. to try and build uh, uh, private developments right. and not using the money we have. But we have this money now. There's nothing that is not unaffordable okay. for this country, and we have the legacy for for the families. Like I was talking to a family the other night. There's three adults and four kids and a two-bedroom house and they have no prospect of getting a house anytime soon and we need right. that the local authorities okay. are going to spend the money that they have. Listen, um, and Regina, I, I want to ask you when we, we, 
We've got new information as well that was released by the Department of Finance showing that the trend of underspending is actually continuing with a 29% capital underspend in the Department of Housing in the first three months of, of this year. Because the same issues that impacted last year are still here. Like we don't have but magic... so what are we doing about them? Okay, so how, how do you suggest, so that, we fi- how, how do you suggest that we fix global supply management problems? Like you can't just wave a magic wand. Well, you've just said suddenly... that it's more than that. Yeah, it's actually is. down so to we, red break... tape as well. It's, it's also break down, down to issues um, at local authority level. Yeah, so breakdown. Years ago, we wouldn't have called this red tape. Years ago, proper planning, you know, with master plans for local area developments to have balanced, sustainable, you know, proper infrastructure, social infrastructure as well. None of that would have been called bureaucracy a number of years ago. But because we're not developing stuff fast enough now, now we can see where something that takes five years, we should be able to cut it down to maybe two or three years. Now, if we did that, people would still object. You look at some of the money that was allocated last year to the refurbishment um, of derelict houses. We know that take-up wasn't half, it wasn't half, it wasn't 80% of what we would have expected it to be. So well, there's another... vacant homes, very little has been done by government in terms of I don't actually think that's fair. And actually, when well, we responded market, last year when there was criticisms of the, of the, of the Creekonaha um, project, we increased the values of the money that was being offered to people. And the so you, we need to look at low, the Regina. individual breakdowns of what the billion euro underspend is and why. And then maybe then we can have a reasonable conversation. But what's not fair to say is to call what's co- currently going on, which is 400 families or couples buying a new house each and every week, a basket case. When your minister was the Minister for Housing, you didn't build 400 houses in the entire year. And, so and that's because our country was bankrupt at the time. No, 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 no sorry. No, no, Regina, no, right. The no, reality is, the reality no, is, there's and, been decisions Marie, made Marie, by this stage. Marie, like the Department that is something no, that is levelled no, at Labour all the time. Yeah, I, that you sit and we have a conversation about why aren't m- more homes being built. But when your party had the housing portfolio, there were, and it was something that was said by uh, Leo Fradker today, how many houses were built by Labour? 400 homes. And, and, and let's set a bit of context here, right? There was issues about paying the public sector pay bill back then, right? Such was the dire state of our public finances. We have the best this public finances. This is the, bu- the sorry, best. Sorry, this, this is, is 2016. We were in government two months in, in 2016. That's Regina, the key point here is that we have heard deflection after deflection particularly by Fianna Gael and government, but also by Fianna Fáil and the Greens, right, saying that it's objections. Like, there, you know, all, there, there, there's always an excuse, right, when the reality is that this government and the previous government have decided that they actually want developers to build and not the state. Maybe we should ask Marie how she's going to where, build a million where, where houses a in the next 10 years. Process, where there's a four-part process, Given the constraints that are currently right, available with the, by the Department of Housing, lack of right? workers and the supply chain well, actually, management Well, actually, Regina, let me tell you, you build I, know eight, I, know, I know eight plasters that were sitting at home two weeks ago, right? And the reality on the ground at the moment, particularly in Dublin, might be different elsewhere, but particularly in Dublin, is that there's projects now being pulled because inter- the international finance that was coming in to build projects is now going to Germany, it's now going to Spain. It is leaving Ireland, right? And the reality is actually that we keep on hearing that we don't have the workers. Well, well actually, I think it's a little bit different. We actually need to look at how we re- re- retain workers okay. in the sector, particularly apprentices, and that actually there are well, people wanting to work, but Minister projects Neil are actually Ashman being pulled. Uh, strategy instrument yesterday making the minimum wage in the construction industry 24 euros an hour. So you can't say that we're not doing th- things to try and right, retain well, Pauline, like, and address the issues that, that are made sitting on people's tables. If our reliance is on, you know, private enterprise to build this and investor funds to build this and they're getting the jitters and they're, they're pulling out, we are at their behest in terms of supplying housing for our people when we are in a crisis situation. 
Look, I, I think that there's a lot of things going on here, uh, but I also but think... But isn't that at the, isn't well, that at the base of it uh, now? And there have been calls for really more state money when we have a billion, billions of euro of a budget surplus to put more state money directly into building homes and building them at scale. Absolutely, but that also takes uh, takes uh, an amount of, of organisation and planning. You, you you just can't build things without a planning process. You know, uh, like I know you're putting it back to planning again. No, but, but is it, there something it, to say? Sorry, that, but, look, but there is a plan. Let's there sit is a now planning and process. think we, we have potentially a 20 billion surplus over the next three years. Should we sit down and look at what are we doing with this money and are we spending it in the right way? I, I absolutely think that any it, it's it is responsible to look at what we can do with our money. But it's also responsible to say that we have record employment rates. Um, so almost everybody in the country is, is actually working. That we, we do know, um, regardless of, to the, live. of the, you know, the people that, that okay. Marie might Can know, I, I know in my own area we that we do have that. a difficulty in finding people to do the work. Um, and that does take a length of Briefly time. On. We know that we need to, to increase apprenticeships. But we also know, every one of us should know, from the, from the political arena, okay. that objections are a major cause of right. concern Briefly, across I our just, local authorities. I think it's important. And it includes Pauline. every political party, I would say, other than the Green Party, I have seen doing this objecting. Uh, I'm just very briefly, uh, Regina, I just want a brief response to this about these unmet targets on social and affordable housing. These figures actually came out yesterday mm -hmm. and it's something that's dubbed in the US, uh, take out the trash day. When you release figures such as this, an unfavourable report in the government's eyes and you release it on a day when all eyes are down at the CCJ and the acquittal of, of Gerard Hutch and that's where that story is going. I don't think anybody's eyes were going to be uh, averted for the Dáil and Ashana coming back this morning. You can see exactly what happened during leaders' questions. This issue isn't well, Why was that released in... yesterday? I, I mean, you know, Labour brought it up saying, you know, you've got to be dubious about this. You've got to I be haven't sceptical well, about Well, OK, this. if there was somebody being, you know, uh, insincere about it, it certainly didn't work. This issue is not right. going off the table. We have 400 families a week buying their house, but we've an awful lot more families who yeah. are not able to. We have. Can I just give you one suggestion of what we could do with the money? The 70,000 planning applications that are sitting there that are not being built because of those investors who can't, we should buy them off them. We should build them ourselves. Yeah. That's right. exactly what Great. we should okay. do. Great. Um, there is one idea. We will have to leave that there for now. Lots more after this break as the Taoiseach puts the brakes on the idea of a congestion charge. Eamon Ryan reportedly went to Cabinet today to seek approval for a plan to reduce traffic congestion in towns and cities. But a few hours later, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, seemed to rule out the idea of a congestion charge. Um, let's get more on this. Regina Doherty and Marie Sherlock and Pauline O'Reilly are still here with me. Um, certainly, it's, it's very high on the green agenda to do something about reducing traffic in our towns and cities, Pauline. And um, the congestion charge, while we heard from Eamon Ryan, you know, this isn't a this isn't a priority. It certainly was in, still in the mix in the proposals that were presented to Cabinet um, as ways of having like car-free zones and then congestion charges potentially in some areas. But there seems to be an awful lot of pushback from that um, within your coalition partners. Look, I mean, it's called a demand management strategy, which is a kind well, of a, mouth, a mouthful. <laughs> exactly. Um, but essentially what it is about is reducing down congestion. I mean, congestion is traffic stresses us mm. out, it's bad for our health um, and it's also clearly bad for the planet. So that's what this is here to address. Mm. It's part of the programme for government. Um, and so this is another step along the way. We've already been seeing improvements in relation to bus services, one new a rural bus service a week last year and this, this year. 
But there's clearly a lot more to do. And that's what this strategy is about. And is so there the pushback? People, is there is there, you know, coalition pushback? I, I, on I tell you this? that there's there's pushback. There's pushback against changes when it comes to traffic management. There is, but when it comes to the coalition partners, um, Le, uh, Eamon Ryan has been clear that he doesn't see congestion charges in the foreseeable future. Um, and I think that that, in fairness, I don't agree with everything that the Taoiseach says, but like it, he has repeated that and has said that Eamon Ryan hasn't said that it, it, it is imminent. So what, what he actually said was not in the lifetime I mean, of this government. Should a discussion be had? If you're, I mean, you're talking about what a demand reduction. Demand management strategy. Right, demand management strategy. Um, surely congestion charges sort of do potentially come into the mix. I mean, we, our nearest neighbour, London, has had them um, in place for decades. It has reduced congestion by 30%. And the argument is introduce... Um, I've also heard that argument that introduce a charge such as this and the drive for public transport, all of that will naturally follow because there's a big incentive there for more people to use uh, public transport and the cultural shift will happen. I don't think it's an incentive. I think that's a penalisation. And why would you do that before trying all of the other things to try and change, you know, traffic management and demand um, of our services? So I think what's absolutely agreed is that our transport emissions have to be halved by in the next seven years. And we have to reduce the overall kilometres that all of us do by 20% mm. in order to have the impact on the overall targets that are now law um, that doesn't make any difference who's in government that we have to achieve. Um, there are know, a whole lot of ways. Are there hold-ups with all of this? Because we keep hearing about, you know, a lack of, you know, pedestrianised routes and cycleways and, and all I don't, of that. I, I don't that think that's true. And I think if anything, car, and sometimes you get criticised the this, the there's an enormous spend on cycleways and particularly uh, safe and closed cycleways at the moment, and not just in our cities, right. but, but around okay, the towns. Uh, and you know, and, and, uh, and absolutely, we do get pushback, but, but I will say that I do think that there is a hold-up, and, and I'm happy to talk about that, you know, once Marie has come in, but it, there there's absolutely is a pushback on a local level, particularly from the councillors. And, and, you know, even last night in Galway, um, we had councillors from all of the parties, including Fianna Gael, including Fianna Fáil, and including Labour, and including the Social Democrats, all voting against something that would have eased congestion um, for, for cyclists, a, a proper cycling scheme for the right. east of the city. So this is an ongoing issue that does have to be addressed. Um, but we, we all know that uh, we, we have signed up to a climate act. So I, I think that now okay. is the time to I, say, if not congestion charges, then what? Okay, Marie, um, is, is that a discussion worth having? Do we, does it need to be a part of the discussion, even if it's not a priority? Uh, of course. And look, the reality, and I live in an urban community, is that you know people live in communities, not just highways to the city centre. At 7.30 this morning, I, I, I was standing with residents in, in, in Richmond Road in Dublin 3, and they're utterly frustrated about the congestion on their road. And there has to be a number of options here. And congestion charges are one of those. But I think the key first thing is we need to look at what alternatives are in place. Is the government doing everything it possibly can to ensure that Metrolink is going to be built so that people from, you know, North County Dublin can actually get a train as opposed to having to, you know, get, get into What's their the car. What's the date on that so, now? 2035? 2034, you know. Right. So, and there's already been, you know, delays on that. But secondly as well, you know, are we banning, you know, heavy goods vehicles on certain roads? And, 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 and the key thing for me actually with regards to congestion charges is that some people do need to drive. So if you're a tradesperson, if you've got heavy duty equipment, mm. then you will need to drive. But there's other people who maybe, you know, would 
would if there were alternatives there uh, and good alternatives, then, then 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 certainly they would take up the option. The option, like the Labour Party has been talking for some time now. Mm. We look in Berlin and they had their nine euro climate ticket, and I think it's something that you know would be very affordable for here. We t we okay. talked earlier about the money we have, and well, I think we, it's an incentive we've, we've to ensure the, yeah, the cost. Okay. No, we but, are out of time. But, but we're going to have to leave it there. We're going to have to leave it there for tonight. I am afraid that is it from us. My thanks to all our panel um, tonight, but from all the late team here. Good night and do take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.